it's really as simple as when everybody's panicking, you buy. When everybody's euphoric, you sell. And I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that on ETF approval, everybody is going to be absolutely euphoric. Hello, everybody. Joe Nanabi here. Welcome back to another episode of 1000X. Thank you very much for for tuning in with us. Today, I'm broadcasting to you live from London, England. Hello, Avi. How are you, mate? Doing all right, Jonah. Is the price of Bitcoin the same in London as it is here? Weirdly, it is, but not in pounds. Pounds is a little bit lower, below 30K still, below from the past. Do you remember, do you remember, uh, what? when was it? Was it last year at this point? It, it feels like it was It was recently, but it's. I know it's not. When the pound almost hit parity with the dollar, yeah, and there was that there was that massive sell off because of the guilt. That was earlier this year. No, that was that was 2022. Um, the government did something stupid with pension fund regulation. I forget yep. what the pound tanked, and uh, you know I had this I had this uh, rah rah America I'm American living in London mentality like oh, the pounds just gonna keep dropping and then it just ripped right back. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember when it hit parity. It, it's funny how these things tend to work. It's like tr- it's true in every single market. It's peak hysteria, peak panic, peak. Oh my God, new paradigm. This time is different. It's all over. That's always, always the bottom. It's insane. Yeah. I, I remember. I do remember at at a dollar. I was browsing uh, real estate to buy in London. You went, you went to everybody else. That's why it bounced yeah. back. Yeah, I mean, London's an amazing like fiscal quasi haven for a lot of people around around the globe. Not not to not to talk about London real estate. Um, oh yeah, that was September thirtieth, twenty twenty two. My my times are way off, but I remember um, back then as, as we were browsing real estate, everything ripped back, and never ended up pulling it, but. I was hearing, and maybe when I come join you in London next week, we'll go do some sniffing around that a lot of people in uh, the UK have 10-year mortgages as opposed to 30-year mortgages. Like The, the rate is, fi- is 10-year fixed, not 30-year fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as rates go up, it's going to put a lot more pressure on the UK housing market than it does on the, on the US housing market. And that they're already talking to some dealers, a lot of supply coming on. So maybe we should go house shopping together. Yeah, we could, uh, we could be roommates. I'm sure my, my wife would be super Hey, honey. I'm sure, I'm sure she would love it. Moving in with Avi. Last week, we spent a lot of time, you know, feeling pretty good, right? The price of Bitcoin hit $30,000 token in the middle of our podcast for the first time in months. Um, you know, we're both long. It was, uh, you know, it felt good. This time, why don't we take a moment to explore and learn from some of the worst trades we've ever done? So just to kick this off, Avi, what's, you know, or I can start if you want. What's what's one of the stupidest, worst, or most costly trades you've ever done in your career? And what how has it helped you become a better trader since then? Every bad trade that you take is a tremendous learning opportunity. Uh, you know, sometimes you, that, I mean, in my opinion, actually, you learn the most from the trades that, that you messed up. I learned almost nothing from the trades that I won big on. Uh, you know, sometimes a little bit, but realistically, I just feel good. Uh, and this was probably the biggest learning opportunity for me it was back in 2019, uh, when Bitcoin ripped from 3k, from 3k to 14k. I had done 
a very, very good job riding that wave. Uh, I was one of the, 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 the larger participants on, on Deribit at the time. Uh, there were, there wasn't a lot of options volume going through. Vol was tremendously mispriced. Uh, after Bitcoin ripped from 3K to 4K, and I just started buying upside, buying upside, buying upside, and I just ran up my account super hard. And then at 13, 14K, uh, it was a little bit of recency bias. It was, hey, I've made so much money buying these options, and I've made so much money, I, uh, you know, exploiting this inefficiency that even though the inefficiency had completely gone at that point, I mean, Vol was trading plus 100. In my mind, I was like, well, I'm really good at this and this has been a really good instrument and I think I can make a lot of money if I keep, if I keep going. And so I just really took a, took an absolute beating, uh, at the top, at the top in 14 K, uh, cause I was so, I was so exposed to upside, upside calls. And, and I actually, I actually remember this one moment where I pro I could have gotten out, uh, and I, I just thought about it in the wrong way. So I remember that on the sell-off from 14 to 12, or it was a pretty rapid sell-off. And Vol, this was in on 2019, 2019, 2019, and Vol on options in the sell-off went up so much that despite going down 10, 15% in price, the value of my options only went down like five, 6%, mm. which is insane. Like, that was, it was like a, yeah, my calls, like my calls, uh, despite being, you know, go, going, going the wrong way with price, they stay the same price. And I looked at that and I thought, okay, that's a great opportunity to stay long because I haven't lost any money. So there's no reason, there's no reason to sell. Uh, and, uh, one thing that I I've learned from that, and that's actually been a pretty phenomenal trade um, over the last, over the last few years is anytime you get a massive short-term spike in vol in the crypto markets, that is a 99% hit rate sell. Like, and you, you can build it those markets. Yeah. You, you can build, well, you can build like a, you can build a model on it, right? Just look at the one day, what's a two, three standard deviation move in vol. If that happens, you're probably selling. You should probably sell. Yeah, uh, it makes it even better when it's close to end of month. But that's uh, that that it did it did teach me that trade. Yeah, that's a good example, Avi. Thank you for sharing. Um, for me, I think it's a bit of a well. Put it this way: earlier in my career, um, I we you know was fresh out the gates, scared to lose money, um, and somebody finally gave me the advice: like, hey, Jonah, if you trade to not lose money, you'll just lose money. So trade to make money. It involves taking some risk and put yourself out there. So I was still a little nervous and I, I spent a lot of time trying to really think things through before I, I dip my toes in because, you know, I, I was, once you dip your toes in, you got, you got to be prepared to get wet. So I ended up getting a couple of things pretty right, uh, namely Facebook stock and Bitcoin. Um, and to some extent crude oil, but I think I was... I was a little bit, you know, I, I would make 10, 20, 30, 50% on a little bit of money in my PA and I would just take profit. I was like, wow, this is great. Then those things went up another 100x or 10x in the case of Facebook and I missed all of it. So I thought, dang, I need to learn to ride a trend. Um, and then that led to 2018, um, the worst trade of my career, which was 
conviction long crude oil dead right the market was tightening supply was dropping off a cliff um everything was just going right for me i was you know max long at being company with a lot of capital a lot of risk tolerance you know having the best year of my career very quickly then things just got better and better then uh trump uh came in and basically got a little nervous about the price of oil because high gasoline prices and new presidencies um in election years and he he went a little soft on iran he he waived the sanctions for a bit and i didn't adapt to that information i stayed you know, drum banging long, long crude oil because of all I'd learned about missing out on big trends. And I thought this was going to be a big trend. And I lost so much money. It took me a year and a half to to get back to my high water mark. And what I've learned from that, and plus Bitcoin and, and crypto traders all over the world should hopefully take a little bit of notice, is like, you can kick yourself when you miss a big trend. You can kick yourself when you think there's going to be a big trend and it snaps back in your face. So... The critical piece of analysis to do, this is what I've learned ever since, ever since that 2018 implosion, my PL is ask yourself whether you're on the break of some new technological or market-based unlock, or whether you're at the peak of a hype cycle that's going to revert because um, participants now perceive the asset that you've ridden to this point to be, you know, unattractive from a price perspective. So Bitcoin miners are saying, man, 30K, this looks like a level where we should really try to finance our business for years after what we've just been through. Let's let's sell everything, right? Crypto could go straight back down equally if we're at 30K because a BlackRock ETF is about to get approved and 20 times more capital is about to enter this market. Um don't sell whatever you do. Uh, so I think that's what we got to debate on this podcast. I, I think that you can learn a lot from studying previous bubbles, and you can lot you can learn a lot from studying previous trends. And one of the most important things that you can do, and probably the thing that's made me the single most money in my entire career, is being a student of history. Every single time uh, I talk to an older trader. Or every single time, you know, I have I have conversations with people in this business who have been who have been very successful. Uh, there are really two things that stand out to me. One is that they've built themselves a tremendous intuition through many hours of just studying charts, information, balance sheets, data. Uh, they've just built themselves tremendous intuition to the point where. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people will look at will look at you know a Druckenmiller or a Soros, and they'll say, "Oh man, how do they make that decision? How do they make that decision so quickly? How do they make the right decision? Why do they make that decision?" And the reality is, a lot of it is just prior study. It's like it's like when you're to bring it back to our previous podcast with Noah. It's like when you're wrestling, you just build muscle memory for yourself. Like you just do certain things in certain situations, and you just know to do those things. And that just comes from practice and studying. Uh, and then the, the second thing is that the, the, the things that they study the most uh, are all, it's it's often history. Uh, it's it's often it's it's often understanding you know what what has happened in the past and how do I and how do I apply that how do I apply that to the future. Uh, I think just I'll I'll drop some of my favorite my favorite books 
and then we'll put we'll put them in the link in the link below. But I would probably read three. I would read The Great Game by John Steele Gordon, which is a history of Wall Street, which takes you through every single, uh, you know, every, every single scam that anybody on Wall Street has ever pulled. You know, they they have they have anecdotes about how in the railroad boom, people would rename their companies to be the Long Island Railroad Company, and it would go up. Um, wow. They have stories. They have stories about Jay Gould and his cornering of, of markets. They have stories about. Uh, you know, one there's there's one there's one famous story where a guy who's known to have a hot hand on the street in the 1920s goes to a club, uh, writes down a list of stocks to buy. Uh, he's at a club where a bunch of Wall Street people go. He's there with his broker. He writes down a bunch of stocks to buy, hands it to his broker, and tells the broker to accidentally drop it on the way out of the club. The bro- broker apps accidentally drops it on the way out of the club and a bunch of people pick it up and they go oh this guy's had a really hot hand let me go buy these stocks and then he proceeds to sell it to them right so there are all these like different anecdotes and funny and funny things that happen so the great game by by john steel gordon uh the alchemy of finance by george soros which i think is the best book in the world at teaching somebody how to play a bubble if you're in crypto you need to read this book it's like a seminal text of crypto despite being written many years before crypto was invented. It deals with the concept of reflexivity. Uh, and then uh, the autobiography of Bernard Baruch, which is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal book that follows Bernard Baruch, who was a one of the greatest traders of all time and was one of the people that successfully made a pivot into politics from trading and ended up being an advisor to FDR, just lived a fascinating life. So I think th- those books have really built a strong foundation for me in terms of developing my own personal trading style, uh, which just for the record is generally waiting for big opportunities. And then when I find those big opportunities, pressing them hard and riding that trend. Patience is is hard. I think patience and discipline are two of the most important characteristics of any good trader. Um, then they're related. But can I add a book to your list, Avi? Just one? Sure. Um I would add The Prize by Daniel Yerkin. It is the, since you mentioned history and these are history books, this is the thousand page, 150 year history of crude oil. And the reason why it's so important for crypto and, you know, traders in most markets is that a commodity is tradable technology, right? And crypto is also tradable technology, which is why I think that crypto is a commodity. Um, Yeah, there are many similarities between ETH and crude oil. Uh, oil is deflationary. Uh, you can occasionally mine more, but every time you put a little bit of it in your airplane to go fly somewhere, or bus to go travel somewhere, the global supply decreases. It, you know, ETH, it, gas is burned. Sure, there are scaling solutions. That's the equivalent of you know finding lore, but um, ultimately, the it's a deflationary asset that you use to unlock value in some product or service, just like oil. And oil in its early days, uh, which you learn in this in this crude oil book. The prize is that it's got a Pulitzer Prize, by the way. Very good. Um, oh, nice. Is that back then there was a, you know, the barbell debate that we have in crypto today. Is it useful or is it a scam? Is it garbage? Um, same thing happened with crude oil back in the day when a bunch of Yale scientists were messing around with it. It was like, wow, is this the future? Are we going to be able to like replace whale oil for, or kerosene, you know, create kerosene and make light out of it? Or is it just a bunch of tar that bubbles out of the ground? Because there's literally that much of it useless you know, waste product, right? And so you look at the uh, 
you know, sort of inflation adjusted price chart of crude oil in this book. And it's a wild swing. Something like on an inflation adjusted basis, one of the highest, I think, if not the highest, the second or third highest price point ever reached was in the late 1800s. And then it went went down like 99% from there. Um, and then, you know, so that's because that's that's they didn't hard cap it, Jonah. That, they should have hard capped it. They should have. No. They should have been like, oh, whoops. That, that's actually really fascinating that it was deemed, it, 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 there were people that wrote it off as, oh, maybe it's just black tar bubbling out. Might not actually be useful. That, that, that's it's fascinating. Technology. I never... Yeah, you you never really you never really think about things like that, but that's that's fascinating. That, that that's great. I liken the builders in the in the crypto space to the the Yale scientists who are just sort of like slaving away in their chemistry lab trying to turn, refine it basically. And it's not that hard. You boil it, take the steam, cool the steam back off, and you have kerosene, which flies jets and creates light. It's just distillation in crypto. You know, it's like, does the world need a publicly owned spreadsheet? Yeah. Probably it does. Why? To me, this seems obvious, but to every all the all the naysayers out there, it's it's kind of a well. Why? You know, you could have a Amazon Web Services do the same thing. You know, I don't know. We we should get a naysayer on the podcast sometime. I think at this point, the nays the people that hate this stuff just don't understand it. So it'd be like debating a flat earther. <laughs> it's like, well, why, why, why even, why even debate? The thing is. All of the points, all of the, I guess this is like circular reasoning, because <laughs> I was going to say all of the valid points that they bring up, I agree with, but like, okay, then obviously I'm deeming the valid. Um, but, but I do, I do think that a lot of the, a, a, a lot of the point, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of the points brought up around, you know, are, are utility tokens useful? It's like, well, the majority of them aren't. Okay, but that's well understood by every professional participant in the asset class. It's like the majority. Are. What gives Bitcoin value? Nothing. It's the belief that it has value that gives it value. And the fact that it's a better money and on a variety of different metrics, that gives it value. But it's just, you know, there's, there's, yeah, you're right. There's nothing backing it. Okay, fine. Right. What is, is crypto, is DeFi better or worse than the traditional financial system. The people that say that the underlying tech of the traditional financial system is better than the underlying tech of DeFi are delusional. There's no argument. It's just not true, right? And, and, the, and the arguments that they might they might bring up are, okay, well, you can't KYC, you can't you know AML, you can't have private... So, well, you can build that on top of DeFi. It just won't be the DeFi that we see today. It'll be a very different version of it, but you can still build that and that can still exist and it will still be better built on the crypto stack. So, I mean, there are all these, there are all these arguments that I think are, are just incorrect. Um, now speaking of, speaking of DeFi, have you been paying attention to these, uh, DeFi 1.0 pumps? Scratching my head a little bit. I, you know, even BCH ripped like 150% in the last few few days like I, what is going on uh i genuinely i do genuinely think that a lot of these things were just horrifically underowned i don't think any this 
they were like, there was no speculative money in them. The only people that held them were the people that were holding, holding them for the long term. The only sellers were the people that were already holding, that were getting inflation, that were selling. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I think that this is really a less of a, less of a fundamental move. Um, I don't think anything has changed fundamentally for DeFi. I just think that it, it was, it was this massive effectively short squeeze and people woke up and they realized that they had zero DeFi exposure and that it's possible. Um, I think one downstream, uh, one downstream effect of the ETF getting approved is that some people are speculating that this is happening because the SEC is being told, hey, loosen up on crypto. I have no insight into that. Hold, don't hold by. Sister, you know, the Biden administration, hey, mm. loosen up on crypto. Um, I have no insight into this. But that is a similar thesis actually to, to yours, which I assumed was just me being lazy and not doing the research. I, I just assumed like, Hey, something that's been fire sold for over a year now, the DeFi asset class, FTX not helping all of the stuff, right? Things just go down only for a while. Then you, then they go up a little bit. You have a bear market rally from the low point. You can say, wow, this is a big rally. But in reality, it's just, you know, when we, after another year goes by, we'll zoom out and look at this price action as a blip in a downtrend. I just assumed it was it was uh, you know just that kind of fractal volatility in the midst of a bear market for a particular asset class. I, I didn't think there was anything more to this, but you know, worth talking about in case we're missing something obvious here. I don't think we're missing anything obvious. I, I, I do especially think in in terms of BCH and LTC. Uh, well, BCH is a very tightly controlled. I don't you know want to necessarily make any accusations but it is a very tightly controlled asset which means that it is very easy to move the price uh and so it's very easy to manufacture these types of these types of moves i think ltc tends to follow uh because what ends up what ends up happening in these in these situations is that you see a leader and then everybody piles on the secondary one thing that i've learned time and time again like time and time again trading crypto is that it's super reflexive and so you almost never make as much money buying the laggard as you do the leader. Yeah. Almost never. So it, if you buy the laggard, it's like a one to three day trade, maybe. And you're looking for like some level of convergence of like 10 to 15, 20%, especially in this environment. But you're just, you're not looking for the same returns as a leader. And more likely than not, the leader is going to outperform your laggard. You know, because people tend to get out, like pe people tend tend to crowd to the winner. They don't they don't tend to they don't tend to buy buy the loser in, in hopes of catch up as much. Unless you're talking about bull market, like crazy full on, like things are pumping 100 percent left and right. But even then, you know, so for example, uh, in this in this case, um, you know, looking looking at DeFi, uh, I do think that a a lot of it is. Um, you know, so so if I'm looking at the top performers today on my DeFi list, I've got GRT, which I don't know why is up 14%. I've got BitDAO, which is going through a rebranding to MantleDAO, uh, which is probably going to be, be, be beneficial for it. Uh, one thing that's interesting is that Bybit has just like been such a winner out of all this out of all this uh, Binance uh, 
all, all these Binance issues. And then you've got you've got Blur as well up there, which I'm actually quite quite bullish on as well, just because I'm bullish on NFTs and I think NFTs. So you even call that DeFi Avi, or is that just NFTs? Oh, I, it's like sort of NFT DeFi. It's like a, it's like a mix between the two. You've got Frax, you've got Maker. Um, a lot of these things, I think, were just uh, just just super super tightly super tightly held assets. Yeah. Um, you know. You brought up something interesting in there that I want to like kind of double click on. Um, double blur. click on what are we consultants? Are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna boil the ocean next, Jonah? From, from thirty thousand feet, we could. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I I tried. Dude, corporate corporate life has wow. killed you, man. What is? Let's let's try that again. All right. Something I wanted to think through a little bit more with you okay. together. Kumbaya. Let's talk together about NFTs. You want to you want to you want to hold my hand next? Yeah, I miss you. Man. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm see I'm seeing you next week. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's, it's it's been it's been a while. Um, yeah, it has. Uh, so anyway, um, you mentioned Blur, the intersection of DeFi and NFTs, and you also mentioned something about uh how buying the laggard is a terrible strategy and, and earns you a tiny fraction of the return with an explosive multiple of the risk. It's funny you mentioned those two things because the closest market to crypto when it comes to leaders and laggards is the art market. Um, what When you buy art, all of the people who are good at it, and there are very few, say, you know, buy the best artists and buy the best pieces by the best artists. Do not do not mess with anything other than the best of the best. Everything else is garbage, and that's a you know, obviously it's hard to pick the best artists before they become too expensive, and it's hard to pick their best pieces until their styles become known. But that is indeed the best way to invest in art. And for at for NFTs, NFTs being art, like is there any other trade besides zombie punks, apes, ape punks, aliens, punks, like? It, like I know Azuki just just did something kind of crazy, but is this just like totally to be ignored? Is the board ape yacht club dead? Does this lead lag relationship that you mentioned in crypto apply to NFTs? I don't think so. Um, as much in in the form of I don't I don't necessarily think that it's true for something like a board ape or for an Azuki or for things that were hot at a given time in the in the crypto sphere. Because I think what ends up happening is that. Uh, you can think of these, you can think of a lot of the profile picture NFT projects as effectively, you know, brands that come in and out of style. So you can think of them as like a Gucci or a Prada or a Versace mm -hmm. or a, and whoever has the best designer at any given moment, whoever's producing the best stuff, like an American Eagle comes in, into fashion, out of fashion. So it's uh, like a rotation. It's not like Picasso and Damien. And it, and it, and it's because the team behind them are like constantly doing things with the project, right? So a lot of the like Board Ape and Azuki and like Miladies and all these things are not uh, where they are by virtue of what they are visually. Certainly not. They're right. They're they're there because of the community, and the community can wax and wane in potency and 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 effectiveness. Now. Fidenzas and rares, though, different story. 
that you read my mind. That's exactly what I was about to say. Fidenzas, squiggles, punks, rocks, different story. Who's your Who's your favorite trad artist? If you had to pick one, mine's Francis. Okay, Bacon. I don't know that much about the traditional traditional art world. Uh, I have gotten some I have gotten some exposure to it uh, recently. Um, you know, I think that it's a fascinating it's a fascinating space. I know a lot more about the gem and jewelry market than I do about the art, like, like the art market. Uh, I just like as as a half Indian, half Jew, I guess I kind of had to. Uh, but, uh, gem. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know. I know a lot. I know a lot about a lot more about that, uh, and I'm actually quite, quite. I find I find it really fascinating. Why are you bullish yeah, NFTs though? Why are you bullish NFTs? Teach me that first. So, uh, two. There, there really, there really two things. I don't think my thinking is is that differentiated. Yeah, one is that I think as the crypto market goes up, the wealth effect, people will want to display their wealth and they're going to not display it in the form of gaudy purchases in reality. They're going to buy gaudy things in the digital world. Uh, and those are that that is going to be NFTs. People are going to take their money that they make in ETH and they're going to go flex their rocks and fidenzas and squiggles and all sorts of other expensive things. And it will become more accepted. The other thing is that, uh, and this stays in our little crew of me and you and everybody listening to this podcast and everybody on my Twitter. So I've, uh, you know, made a couple, I've made, made a few friends in the traditional art world in the, in, in the, in the New York space. Uh, and they have mentioned to me that NFTs are something that they pay attention to now. Like it's not going away. In the way that I thought it, it that, that I thought it might. There's actually a gallery down the street from our London office uh, called Pace in Mayfair, and that's where I bought my first piece. Really? Yeah. And we have a lot to talk about. So they were ho- they were showing NFTs at that gallery, and I do think that what's happening right now is that there's some semblance of acceptance from the traditional art world uh, of of NFTs. Um, way 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 more than there was a year and a half ago uh in that because these things have stuck around people are like oh okay we're not going anywhere got it understood it's just more of like this uh immersion into culture and then there's actually there's actually a third point here which is that nfts are expanding rapidly outside of just art so you have people like nike introducing the nike swoosh you have starbucks introducing their their nfts you have artists uh we actually invested in in one in one platform called fan three which is helping artists issue issue nfts at a greater scale i can't give away anything too much but they have a lot of really great djs lined up to go issue nfts to give exclusive access to conferences to music uh they've got some uh athletes as well lined up and so people are now thinking about NFTs in a much broader context than they were previously. And I think that there's some pretty negative sentiment with respect to NFTs right now and that ever most people are ignoring them. Uh, I think the percentage of people in crypto that pay attention to NFTs have dropped off a cliff precipitously, but activity is picking up and acceptance is picking up. So I, you know, I'm, I'm bullish. Me too. Um, I'm bullish because I think we've come out of the, uh, you know, the technology hype cycle. You have the technology is innovated, then you have the peak of 
euphoria, then you have the trough of disillusionment, and then it uh, plateaus out into the enlightenment phase. Um, I think we were past the trough of disillusionment with NFTs, maybe not with crypto more broadly, but uh, with NFTs for sure. I agree with you that they're they're perpet- sort of um, percolating into the trad art world. My my big art guru advisor is the um, his name's Nathan. He runs the Freeze Festival, uh, and I was having a conversation with him in Venice last year, where we talked about what NFTs could be in terms of traditional art. And frankly, the most interesting thing to me is if anybody who owns art has to own a certificate of authenticity uh, to effectively authenticate their piece. And that document is just printed on a piece of paper. It could be uh, forged. It's effectively a piece of garbage, right? Wouldn't it be better if all art were an NFT effectively with a physical print? And so... Uh, By the way, that that's how I feel about so many things. Yeah, it, 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 the deed to my house, like what what the wait, what the heck is going on? Why? Yeah, why the heck would I? Yeah, why are you going to entrust? Why why do I have a deed, a piece yeah. of paper, that says that I own this thing? Yes, it's in yeah. a registry as well. Yeah, but if I lose a deed, it's still a headache. Exactly. Why is, and it, why is it still a safety deposit box somewhere? These deeds still last. Like, oh, this is actually a Da Vinci that no one real, or is it a Da Vinci? You know, this this like thing that is uh, Salvatore Mundi that that Prince Salman uh, brought bought for five hundred million dollars. Like, what if there had been an NFT that was associated with that certificate of authenticity? Um, you know, rather than being registered with the Bank of, of Northern Italy f- five or 600 years ago when it was created, you know, it was just put on some chain and lasted forever. Like, that's how art art ownership and ownership of anything should be stored. Is there a company you would trust with the certificate of authenticity of your art or the deed to your house? Like, I wouldn't want to trust some startup or even Microsoft with that. I would, you know, I, I'd prefer to just have it on chain, frankly. And so, a business idea for any of you entrepreneurial crypto people out there. Um, if anyone wants to create this startup, please give Avi and or myself a call. Um, goes two ways. First of all, NFT uh, on-chain certificates of authenticity for trad art. And the ref- also the opposite of that, which is a service for wealthy trad art collectors who buy from galleries. They don't want to um, go into a MetaMask and deal with anything. They just want to sign. They want to DocuSign something and then own their art. So basically, secure uh, secure storage for NFTs that are owned by you know that are bought at, at trad art galleries. Um, that sort of dual service, I think, is a real crypto business that needs to exist. And if anyone's creating it, uh, hit us. Yeah, I I would agree wholeheartedly. But I don't know how we got stuck on this topic of talking about art. I don't. I, I, I find that because it's crypto. It's, it, it is for crypto. It is. Put it this way. If that hit it big, I think I think ETH goes up because, again, it's a use case for, for the chain. Speaking, speaking of ETH, ETH BTC, where is it going? Right now, let's timestamp it. It's 0.064. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, let me preface this with on the last podcast, we talked about being bearish BTC up until the ETF launch. We talked about being yeah. bearish alt up until the ETF launch. Since then... Alts have actually done okay. Um, BTCD, I, I do think, is up since the podcast, but there are some select alts that have done that have done all right. And I'm personally, I personally, over the last two weeks, have changed my opinion and got longer ETH BTC uh, and have bought bought ETH uh, full 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 disclosure. And, and I've also 
you know, bought other other alts. I still really like my my favorite trades in the world are still GBTC, ETH, Stacks, which I think is just it's it's going up, uh, and then B- BTC upside. But we did buy uh, other other alts over the last over the last two weeks um, because I do think that. Uh, especially if BTC gets stuck in this in this range, we're going to see some we're going to see some outperformance. But the I think so. The main question is, can can ETH BTC keep up if BTC keeps going up? I think no, it absolutely can't. So here's the thing: I think one of the I think the best trade in crypto is long GBTC, and the reason why is unlike trad. We talked a little bit about this last week. Unlike trad markets where there's just more than enough capital to pre pre hedge pretty much any type of announcement or anticipated information that's widely known, there isn't like there just isn't enough money that can get into crypto to preposition for what a BlackRock ETF approval would would bring in, right? So because of that, there is a fundamental mispricing in the crypto market. Anybody who can buy Bitcoin right now, spot uh or GBTC absolutely has that had you know has the ability to get ahead of a potential BlackRock ETF approval, which I think would send the price up. And the reason why the price isn't up uh, in a probabilistically weighted way already is, like I said, because it's hard for capital to get into crypto right now, uh, either because yeah. the the pathways, the gateways, or or the will or the risk appetite is just lacking. So I think GBTC is the best trade. Just to respond to your question about where does an BTC go, uh, like where do you think? I don't know where it goes from here. But what I'm confident in is that if you wait for an ETF approval and the ETF, the BlackRock ETF gets approved, um, you that's when you buy, right? I think it's a dip buy. I don't think it's a buy right now. Here's my cynical take on the matter, Jonah. I don't think the ETF drives uh, truly meaningful flows. I, I, think, I, think, I think that it drives semi-meaningful flows. I mean, maybe, maybe a few billion, maybe like, three, four billion in in flows. I think a significant amount of that, unfortunately, is offset by people that own GBTC and would redeem and then get out of the trade. Because there are funds right now that own GBTC outright and will, when approved, just drain GBTC of their Bitcoin and just get out of the trade. Yes, there are a lot that own GBTC in a market neutral fashion, but there are a lot that just own it outright uh, basically willing to take the price risk of Bitcoin. Uh, and when that trade, when that gap closes, they're just out. And I do think they're going to be some time that goes by in between a prospect, a potential BlackRock ETF approval and when you can get redeem your GBTC. Uh, probably, but probably no it happens. happens. No, but I don't think it would be very long. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that this lows, I do think that those flows somewhat, somewhat offset, uh, and I do think that there a lot of flows are front run too. And so net, I don't know how many flows come in. I think it's net positive for BTC over a long period of time. But my bet is that here's my take on the matter. If an ETF is approved, it looks very, very, very similar to the futures ETF approval where it tops effectively on the day of the ETF approval. ETH runs after catches up really hard and then both top together for a foreseeable time period then we go sideways and then in q1 24 having we start going up again that's my that's my that is my view on the market is that etf is a sale 
ETH goes up, then you sell ETH, you, you pivot, and then you sell, well, I, I think you buy a little bit of ETH now, but then you, then you pivot really hard into ETH, and then you sell everything like a week later, and then you just wait for the halving to get closer. And then you walk away a much wealthier man or woman. <laughs> that, 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 that's my view. It, you know, I like that view because I think it's one of those times, and you, you know my style, Avi, it's a little different than yours. I think it's one of those times where your style works better, where you really have to trade actively. You can't just sit on your hands, right? You have to be, you have to be nimble and you have to be willing to commit size and you have to be willing to act when everybody is either fearful or euphoric. And yeah, I think, I think it's as simple. It's really as simple as when everybody's panicking, you buy and when everybody's euphoric, you sell. And I can guarantee you with 100% certainty that on ETF approval, everybody is going to be absolutely euphoric. Euphoric BTC, panicking yes. ETH BTC. And then you buy ETH BTC. Oh, then you point. Then that's when you buy it. You dip buy it after an approval. And then you pivot. Although right now, that, but that's also why, by the way, I bought uh, ETH BTC at like 61662 area uh, because I noticed that the price of ETH and this is where you know I trade somewhat lower time frame, but the, the the price of ETH was not correlating with the sentiment. Mm. And one of my favorite trades to take is, and and this is harder to quantify, but there are a couple of good services that you can use to quantify. I like the tie a lot, actually. Me too. So shout out to Josh yeah. Frank, great product. Shout out to Josh Frank, uh, yeah, great guy, great product. Um, I think I have to disclose that we are investors, but I actually do like the product. So what what I did notice is that there is a divergence. So on Wednesday, Wednesday from Wednesday, June twenty eighth to Friday, June thirtieth, ETH sentiment just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and everybody hated it. But price was flat; it was not going down anymore. And when I see that, I like to start nibbling. I like to start buying. It's the same th- same uh, same reason I bought 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 a little bit of blur, um, you know, post uh, post post nuke, uh, is because I view I see blur, you know, capturing a larger portion of NFT volumes every day. They have a lar- they they have a lot of volumes that are running through them. They're doing well. NFT volumes are doing great. New products, new projects are coming out. But the sentiment in our NFT is like, where where'd everybody go? Mm-hmm. Nobody care about these things anymore. So I see I see a sentiment sentiment divergence there. Um, I think DeFi was probably similar. It's like post the SEC coming after Coinbase, everybody thought that DeFi would just get absolutely nuked, and since nothing has happened, it's just going up again. Um, that that actually now that I'm thinking about it more, might be might be one of the reasons for up. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I want to. Um, I want to wrap up the podcast with some just general views and general thoughts around the market. Uh, you know, just just high high level. Where where do you think we're going over the next over the next six months over the next twelve months? Okay, so great question. I think that parts little parcels of the crypto market are looking more like like to your point that you just made rational sort of trad markets uh where you know 
best to be greedy when others are fearful, best to be fearful when others are greedy, mean reverting, you know, buy dips, sell pops, like really, uh, really kind of sensible markets. The two mega trend assets that I, I think, you know, it would be, it would be dangerous to make the, you know, Jonah circa 10 years ago mistake selling Bitcoin, selling Facebook stock equivalent would be selling Bitcoin or selling ETH right now. I think we are in the midst of a multi-decade uptrend in those two assets. And so if you, mm-hmm. I think if you invest in a way that allows you to remain on the mechanical bull and not get thrown off, I, I think that that's, that's, you know, the trade. I think other things like NFTs, DeFi, they've been fire sold, probably time to buy other things that are looking a little, little frothy, a little, little hot, maybe meme coins, uh, you know, light up. Yeah, I think I think I think that's I think that's uh, th- that's in line. I think uh, you know I I do think that we're at an inflection inflection point for Bitcoin where, and we're talking as if the ETF is definitely going to get approved. I, I you know I put it at seventy five percent chance that it gets approved. But I think we're at an inflection point where it just becomes an institutionalized asset class and it becomes something that is just not that's just not going away, mm. and that solidifies in my mind the incoming bubble. Because there's still a lot of people that don't have exposure. There's still a lot of people that have written it off, uh, but it hasn't gone away, and it's it's not going away. And ETH continues to pick up to pick up traction. And so the way that the way that I view this is, I view the next the next few months as solidifying the base for crypto to allow for a crazy run in 24 and 25. I agree with you. Of course, none of this is investment advice. Tokens are risky. Do your own research. Um, you know, really, really appreciate you listening in to to our views, but they are just our our opinions. Not again. No, no, not advice. Never financial advice because I would never do that. I appreciate talking with you as always. I'm super excited to see you in London. Uh, Likewise. Maybe we'll even do a podcast in person. Maybe we'll do an impromptu. You know, oh, and, uh, sit 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 across the table. Drop a special a special episode. You can get your kids involved. <laughs> I actually think that would be that would that would be great. You know, we'll, we'll ask the listeners if they want it. Get some so. new odds takes there. Yep, one one syllable, two syllable take. Mm-hmm. All right, Jonah, catch up soon.